this isn't who you expected to hear, is it? Well, that's not the only surprise in this episode. This is The Veteran Wargamer. This is The Veteran Wargamer. I am your host, Jay Arnold. In this episode, episode 41, I am talking to the one, the only, Dean of the Hobby, the... What, what, what would we call you? The, <laughs> the something, the something about of... Sussex, right? Something about Sussex. We gotta... Oh, the Duke of Sussex. Uh, yeah, kind of the the the, <laughs> the, the the constable of Sussex, and the the ghost of War Games Past. There. Oh, the ghost of War Games Past. Oh, I like that. It's it's not quite as hoity toity as the Duke of something or else. So. <laughs> I, I normally don't like to pin the show to a particular time in in the uh, time stream, but yeah. we did just have the royal wedding, and I gotta say, you Brits, if you want to have your royals and whatnot, that's fine. You know, that's perfectly okay, but I seem to recall we fought two wars so we wouldn't have to worry about royal weddings. <laughs> well, there you go. It just shows promises are never kept. Perfidious Albion. Perfidious yeah. Albion. But but Harry is, as you Brits would say, a top bloke in my book yeah. for his work with uh, veterans. Absolutely. Yeah, and being a veteran himself, like an actual real-life combat veteran. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's a, a decent guy. I mean, I'm... I uh, We shouldn't get too much into politics here, but let's just say I'm not a staunch monarchist. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, and uh, however, I have to say of almost all the royals getting hitched up, I mean, these two are, as one would have said back in the 1960s, a really groovy couple because he's the real deal. I mean, he, he really is uh, someone who's been a, ser- a properly serving soldier in Afghanistan. He does masses for veterans, as you say. Uh, he organises the Invictus Games. Yes. Uh, an in- uh, international event, if no one's heard of that. The Invictus Games is an international event for combat veterans who have... Um, uh, suffered injuries of one kind or another as a result of their service. <clears throat> and he does an absolutely brilliant job with that. Uh, and his wife, I mean, wow. I mean, how how kind of modern do you want to get? Someone of mixed race and mm-hmm. a, an American. Goodness me, I thought it had jolly bad show. I thought that would have been a divorced happen. one. You guys lost a king over that. I know. I know. Extraordinary. Times are fortunately moving on. Now, the funny thing is, Jay, actually, um, and we'll talk about this later on in our chat, of course, I didn't see any of the royal wedding because on on that day I was driving. <laughs> And I want to thank the royal couple because as a result of their wedding and the FA Cup final afterwards, uh, there was virtually no traffic on the roads. So my journey from, from Brighton and Hove up north was blissful. It must have been the easiest drive I've had in that direction, well, perhaps ever. Um, so thank you to Harry and Meghan, their, their well, highnesses. Well, a little bit of uh, foreshadowing there, but I guess before we get rolling... If you are listening and looking at your at the duration of this podcast, you'll notice that it is going to be noticeably shorter than our usual chats with Henry. That's because this chat is going to be broken up over two different shows. 
We're going to have my segment here on the Veteran Wargamer podcast, and then we're also going to have a segment on Henry's Battle Chat podcast uh, for his Patreon backers. So if you want to listen to the whole thing, you're going to have to back Henry on Patreon, and we'll, and we'll talk about that. Uh, well, actually, we're going to go ahead and get right into the Patreon, aren't we? Yep. So just to give folks a little bit of a background, Henry took it upon himself back in the midst of time to start a magazine called Battle Games, and it was good. And then, to not to put it mildly, he kind of had, ran into some trouble, and the folks at Miniature War Games magazine picked up the Battle Games moniker and him as editor, and he was the Frankenstein, or the Dr. Frankenstein behind sort of a amalgamated conglomerate of... <laughs> Miniature War Games with Battle Games Magazine. And uh, actually, I saw it in, in print, in you know physical copies here in the United States and bookstores. E- even in little Quincy, Illinois, we the, the bookstore there got it. Wow. So that was exciting to see. And then they had a parting of the ways, to put it mildly. <laughs> and if you're... If you've if you've been following Henry, and I know a significant portion of my listeners already are, uh, you know that it was not a small or a light decision on Henry's part to go his own way, and I gotta commend him for his bravery. And well, there's other terms you could use, I guess. <laughs> Stupidity, perhaps. Hey, 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 hey! No hate, no hate. So. Um, what he's doing now to support the content he is providing us gamers, and it's all excellent content, I might add, is he has started a Patreon campaign where for as little as, what's the, what's well, we'll talk about the pledge levels in a minute, but for not a lot of money, you get, you get to support Henry and producing the wargaming content that we know and love. Is that a, is that a pretty fair assessment? Well, that's very sweet of you, Jay. Uh, yeah, uh, that's that, that's a, a as concise a summary as I think you could possibly give. Um, the bottom level, by the way, is a dollar a month. You can start as low as a dollar a month to get access to all the Patreon only content. <clears throat> there's there's some content that I produce for higher levels, higher pledge levels, um, because obviously, if people are paying significantly more, I think it's only fair that. Occasionally, they'll get little extras. Um, it's still early days, Jay. I mean, it was, um, what was it, January, mid-January, I kicked off with Patreon. And as you say, it would, um, it came on the heels of what had been, as the Chinese would say, an interesting year. <laughs> uh, having quit the magazine, uh, what was that? That was uh, September 2016 um, and I started making plans um, actually with my own little publishing imprint called Gladius um, and then what happened uh, you know I'm gonna, not going to bore people but <clears throat> my mother passed away in November 16 and there followed uh, a, a, a very difficult uh, kind of 14-15 months um, dealing with probate and selling mm-hmm. a house and it kind of obliterated my working life um it was it was tough so it got to the point uh in january this year where i was thinking you know i had a i had a big choice to make and i and i was just honest with people i said look you know i i love creating content for this hobby i've loved the hobby all my you know as long as i could remember a long time 
and I'd love to stay kind of active in the hobby, as it were. I'd love to stay active producing material. But the blunt fact is I can't afford to do it for free. You know, I, I literally had to make the choice of, right, I'll, I'll go out and get a proper job and walking will just go back to being my little part-time weekend hobby or I need to earn some money carrying on doing this. So I'd heard about Patreon through other people, actually largely in the writing community, because obviously I'm heavily involved in the writing and publishing community as well. And there's a couple of people there who made real success of Patreon. And for anyone who doesn't know, I mean, I think obviously all the people who are my patients know, but some of the people listening to your show, Jane, might not be aware that Patreon's kind of like Kickstarter, except mm -hmm. you make a monthly regular pledge rather than a one-off pledge for a single project. So it's kind of, it's literally like in the old 18th, 19th century, there used to be patrons of the arts, proper patrons of the arts, who would support an artist to produce on paintings on an ongoing basis or, you know, pieces of music, whatever. And it's kind of the modern incarnation of that. And um, it is one of those things where I think a lot of people thought, oh, I could do Patreon. Sure, anyone, anyone can start a Patreon page. But you have to have some kind of um, how can I put this? Some kind of tribe you can appeal to. So people mm -hmm. who probably all are already aware of you and the work you do and are kind of your your biggest fans, really. Those are the people who are most likely to say, yeah, do you know what? Okay, good on you, Henry. Yeah, I'll support you doing that. And then they themselves obviously um, decide on what level of pledge they can afford because I'd, I'd hate the thought that people kind of came in and over pledged an amount that they couldn't afford and then pulled out you know after a couple of months um that would be a shame mm -hmm. so this is why i deliberately set a wide range of pledge levels and because you know it's war gaming and kind of military stuff um when, when you're set up, setting up a patreon page uh, page patreon uh, kind of uh, gives you hints about you know how to set it up and it suggests you give different pledge levels a bit like on kickstarter so i just thought well why not use military ranks so there's lance corporal sergeant lieutenant major brigadier and general and that ranges from a lance corporal at a dollar a month, a sergeant at, what, $2.50, lieutenant at $5. And then it said, because I thought, oh, yeah, that's probably the most people would pledge. But there were still three more gaps in the kind of Patreon forms. Like, oh, right, mm -hmm. so I better make something up. So I just thought, right, let's go wildly into the, the realms of the hypothetical. OK, $10 a month, you could be a major. $25 a month, you could be a brigadier. $50 a month, you could be a general. I thought, no one's going to be a brigadier or a general. Well, blow me down with a feather. <laughs> I've got several of each. <laughs> and a whole host of people at the kind of $10 a month major level, which is absolutely fantastic uh you know i just didn't expect that i thought uh when i was planning this i thought well you know if i could get to the level where i'm earning something like 
you know, a hundred or two hundred dollars a month. That'll enable me to do kind of a blog post a month, uh, and that'll kind of cover my time for doing that. And that would be a nice bit of pocket money. Um, but again, Patreon said, "Oh no, we want you to come up with you know your goals now. You know, so if you reach this many thousand dollars a month, you know what will you do then?" So again, it was like, "Well, all right, I'll make something up," or pretty much thinking that I, you know, it wouldn't. <laughs> Well, within two weeks, I'd already hit $500 a month. Uh, and, you know, so that was up to kind of um, com what was called company level. I'd come up with sort of squad level, platoon level, company level, and then into the hypothetical, as far as I was concerned, battalion level, and what else have I got there? Regimental level, brigade level, division level, you know, it, it, and onwards. So it was like, wow, okay, this is amazing. Um, and we're currently, I've got, I'm looking at it now, I've got 141 patrons who are paying me $779 a month, which is amazing. Um, it's uh, extremely gratifying to know that I've got that kind of level of support. I mean, obviously, people listening to this quite rightly will say, well, that's a tiny number of people. And it is. When you think my book, The Wargaming Compendium, if you see that as my potential audience, you say everyone who bought a copy of my book might be interested in supporting me in some way. Well, that's about 6,000, 7,000 people now. There's, you know, sold quite a few copies. So this is why I'm saying you need to have a tribe before you do this, because if out of that 6,000 people, only 140-something have actually decided to take the plunge and, and back my Patreon gig. It's a very tiny proportion <laughs> of the potential mm -hmm. audience. Now, it could be that more people will come along and they're sort of waiting to see what happens, uh, which is entirely possible. And to be fair, other than mentioning it on uh, my Facebook page and my Twitter account, I've done no marketing of this. To, to speak of, I think I've got a little banner ad thing running on the War Games website. Mm -hmm. That's it, really. Um, so it, it does show you the power of having a tribe who are loyal and keen to support pretty much whatever you do. Because the other fun thing about this, Jay, is that Rather than just being a magazine editor or writing articles, it, it means I can play with things like this, you know, doing podcasts, doing little bits of video. I've got plans to do other stuff, kind of graphics-based stuff for my patrons along the line. Yeah. And it does mean that I can – I've got more creative freedom, and this is the great thing because I've just been upfront with the patrons and said, look, this is what I intend to do with the money. You know, I want to kind of play a bit and have fun because if I'm not having fun doing it and it just becomes sort of a, a, a drudge, um, frankly, there's no point in me doing it. The whole mm -hmm. point is that I want to stay engaged and have fun. And the other thing is, as with any creative person, you, you produce better stuff if you're having fun doing it, right. you know, if you're doing it and feeling like you're under duress and it's just stressful, you know, it can, it can affect the quality. It can affect your state of mind. It can affect the quality of the finished product. And I want to, in return for these people's generosity, um, I want to produce great stuff for them. And also for my own, if you like my own satisfaction, my own sense of pride about, you know, what, what I'm producing. I want to produce great stuff. Right. Uh, and and if, if I can jump in real quick, let, me, yeah, let yeah. me shoehorn myself in real quick. One thing I've noticed is 
there for about the first uh, 30 or so episodes of this podcast, I was really concerned about, you know, get it out every two weeks, get it out Thursday night, Friday morning for our, for our European listeners, etc. And really kind of, I don't want to say stressed about it, but I, I was concerned about getting it out on a particular schedule and, yeah. and that sort of thing. And then I just decided, you know what, I, this this is as much for me as it is for my listeners, and yeah. if I can get it out on every three weeks, that's fine. And if it's out on a Friday or a Saturday or a Sunday instead of Thursday, then you know, hey, you're you're still getting what you pay for. So yeah, <laughs> at this yeah, point, sure. you know, I I don't know if I've got quite the tribe you do to to support doing Patreon, and and I'm almost to the point where. If I were to do a Patreon campaign, would that then re-inject some stress and deadlines into, you know, mm. quite a hectic schedule of my own, you know, because I've got the, you know, everything the kids do, I've got to do also pretty much, plus National yeah. Guard and, yeah. you know, just everything else that has to get done around the house. And I'm not sure I need that beef, you know, I don't know, I don't know if I need that problem. You know, so for the time being, lucky listeners, you're you're getting this for the cost of whatever podcast listening device you have, and that's it. <laughs> the 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 other thing is though the difference between you and me, Joe. Don't forget, I did used to be a magazine editor for a long time, so I. I realised that I was good at being a magazine editor because actually I thrive under deadlines. Mm. If I'm just left to my own devices. Let's not mention any books that are being written at the moment. <laughs> That's for later in the show. That's for later. That's for later. Uh, a, a very brief 10-second mention there. Um, but if I don't have deadlines, I tend to kind of wander off. So having some kind of structure is good for me. Um, we've talked before on your podcast, mate, about building healthy habits and that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. Mm -hmm. And and having some kind of schedule I've come to realize is good for me. Now, funnily enough, um, I can't remember when it was. I think it was probably back in about March or April. I, I did do a post to my patrons. You were one of the recipients, of course, saying, yeah, I'm going to try and keep a schedule where I'm going to be releasing stuff regularly on a Friday. And, of course, in the last two or three weeks, that has been completely torpedoed out of the water because I've had... Um, other stuff that has just got in the way. I mean, some good stuff, war game relating stuff, uh, you know, like going up to uh, the Partisan Show in Nottinghamshire, doing my big Aiton campaign weekend. And those are kind of things that are big, intensive chunks of time over a number of days that then you kind of, you're in recovery mode after. Mm -hmm. um, but I've, you know, I've done some posts and stuff, huge photo galleries that I think, what's quite interesting when you post a, a Flickr photo gallery, Jay, like I did for, from the Aiton game a few weeks ago and just last weekend from the Partisan show, where I posted hundreds of photos. I mean, both times, I think that the Aiton one is probably, I don't know, four or 500 photographs. Partisan was nearly 400. And you see, you go in, you, you check uh, how many views you've had. And photo number one might have had several hundred views. And you scroll down, scroll down, and you get to photo number 500, three people looked at it. 
you can see they just kind of ran out of steam somewhere halfway through the album and just thought, you know what, that'll do me. Yeah, it was nice, Henry, thanks. So, uh, which is a shame because actually those people, I should encourage them to go back and look, start at the end of the album and work back. Go the other way. Because there's really, obviously a lot of the real action is taking place later on in the album. You know, whereas at the beginning, you know, there's lots of shots of troops nicely arrayed, slowly marching towards each other. You know, the actual punch-ups and and melees and stuff are happening, you know, much further along the album. So it's quite funny. But yeah, the Patreon gig, mate, it's... um, so far, touch wood, it's working for me. I had that er- er- initial kind of rush of people signing up. It's, you know, it's fair to say it has plateaued for the time being. But mm-hmm. that's partly because I think, <clears throat> as I say, I, initially I reached the core members of my tribe, the people who kind of... F- 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 very kindly and generously followed me kind of wherever I've gone, whatever I've been doing, because I'm recognising the same names cropping up again, you know, which is fantastic. Uh, but now I need to do the, that kind of grunt work. If I'm, if I'm going to take it to these higher levels that I've, you know, I've realised that I'd quite like to, you know, if, if you look at my goals on the Patreon page, what I'm currently working towards battalion level of $1,000 a month. Mm-hmm. And the next one up is brigade level, which is going up to sort of uh, $2,500 a month. Um, and if I start getting those levels of money, I can afford to make Patreon kind of my main source of income. Because at the moment, um, I'm still, you know, 700 and something dollars sounds fantastic. Um, But actually, if you're a Brit at the moment, the exchange rate with the dollar is appalling. A dollar's worth about, uh, only worth about 70 pence, something like that. So that's 700 and whatever it is, dollars a month, only actually equates to kind of 400 450 pounds a month well my mortgage is 750 pounds a month (laughs) right so uh it's 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 not paying all the bills yet guys so it's it's enough to me to say well okay i can certainly dedicate two or three full days a month to doing stuff for Patreon. And because I'm an enthusiast and I love throwing my heart and soul into these things, obviously I I end up spending rather more than two or three days. But I'm trying to be disciplined about it and not spend too much more than two or three days because otherwise the economics of it won't work. And what I should be doing is earning the rest of my income, a much more substantial income from my other pursuits, the writing, the graphic design, and so on and so forth. Um, so I'm, I'm, I need to direct more energy into that as well. Uh, have anyone's got any graphic design jobs they need doing? Do contact me. <laughs> um, so there we go. So that's kind of the, that's the that's the Patreon thing, really, Jay. And uh, I'm I'm really pleased with how it's gone so far. We're what are we? Less than six months in, and to reach that level already is amazing. And in fact, there's a, a writer friend I have, Joanna Penn, whose name I think we've mentioned on your show before. She's quite famous in the self-publishing world, and I bumped into her at the London Book Fair couple of months ago and she said oh henry i've seen how your patreon's going he said she said you bastard she said it took me two and a half years to get to that level <laughs> and you did it in weeks i said oh oh well that's encouraging then um <laughs> thank you um but on the other hand she earns over a quarter of a million pounds a year from other income sources so 
I don't think she's suffering too much. Yeah. <laughs> not earning so much. So I, I'd, I'd rather have that kind of level of income and think, oh, yeah, Patreon's just a nice little side show, you know. Right. Um, whereas for me, it's 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 an important part of my income, which is why I want to make a good job of it. So spread the word, folks. Absolutely. Far and wide. Any, any pleasant surprises from your uh, Patreon experience? Well, lots. I mean, for the, for that main one of so many people turning up uh the the feedback i got i did a poll was it march april saying how do you think i'm doing uh, everything ranging from yeah i think you're doing really well through to no i hate you you're rubbish go away mm-hmm. um and wow i mean all the votes were in the top half of the graph massively i mean the the, the proportion of people who thought i was doing an excellent or very good job uh, was amazing, astonishing. I mean, we're talking like, I think it was a 90% plus of, of people uh, and no one said I wasn't doing a, a bad job. I think this, the other thing is, I've, what I've realised is, if people thought I was doing a really bad job, they'd just cancel their subscription. Sure. Yeah. And some people have done. You know, I mean, I, I'm being completely honest, there are some people who, for whatever reason, not a huge number, a handful, who I think turned up, maybe expecting something different Mm -hmm. i'm not quite sure the the shame is that they didn't communicate to me what it is they they had hoped i would be doing differently Mm -hmm. you know that's that's one of those real problems isn't it when you're doing anything uh in business is you if people are still paying their subscription you assume they like what you're doing and if they stop paying their subscription, oh, okay, they didn't like what I was doing. Right. Uh, but you tend not to get kind of that honest answer of, oh, I wish you'd done, say, for example, more blog posts than podcasts, or I wish you'd been on the community page more, or whatever. You know, I, I, I can only speculate wildly. I mean, it may be that some people just thought, uh, do you know what? I haven't got the time. You know, because they're already invested in other Facebook pages on Twitter and all these other, you know, media that are available to wargamers nowadays. And they just realised, you know what, actually, I thought I would be paying more attention to what Henry was doing, but I just simply haven't got the time. And that's fair enough. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I'm, I'm not, people could do what they like with their money and it's entirely up to them. And if, 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 they, if they like what I'm doing and they stay, that is fantastic. Uh, if they uh, don't like what I'm doing or prefer something else and take their money elsewhere, well, that's, you know, that's their right. Yeah. There you go. So what's the best way to join you on the, on the Patreon project? Uh, well, you can just go to my regular blog page, uk, and there's a link there to my Patreon thing. There's a big orange button. Uh, you or alternatively, you can go straight to the Patreon page, which is www.patreon. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n. Patreon.com forward slash battle games, and they'll find the introductory Patreon page with all the pledge levels and the goals and the introductory blurb and so on and so forth. As I say, for a li- as little as a dollar a month, you can gain access not just to everything that's coming, but all the back stuff as well, of which now there's... God, it's amazing how quickly it builds up, actually, isn't it, Jay? I mean, it's, it's like you and your podcast and you're on episode whatever, and, and I'm 
I've already done 30 odd bits and bobs of one kind or another, I think it is, on, mm-hmm. on, uh, on Patreon. Um, so it all kind of ties in, and there's, there's, there's free stuff. There's some stuff that's just on my blog at battlegames.co.uk. There's some free stuff on the Patreon thing. Then there's some paid for stuff on the Patreon thing. And there's a couple of little things that are, uh, for patrons above a certain level. I think Lieutenant and above. I don't right. think I've done anything majorly big above that yet. Um, and I've still got lots to do. I've still got catching up because if you join at one of the senior pledge levels, one of the things I say I do is I'll create a scenario for you for your game. You tell me what your favourite period is and rule set and so on and so forth, and I'll try and come up with a scenario for you. Now, I have to say I have made a rod for my own back with that. <laughs> Because I never imagined so many people would join at the pledge level where I offer that, (laughs) you know, but hey, you learn, Uh, but that's okay. Uh, And they're patient. uh, And eventually over time, everyone will get their scenario. Um, But, you know, as long as they are patient Um, or I'll have to offer something else, you know, I'll have to offer them, uh, you know, the last dance at a nightclub. I don't know. Donna Summer songs notwithstanding. <laughs> you mentioned so you know so many bits and bobs as you put it, and I gotta take a moment to give a shout out to our mutual friend Neil Shuck of Meeples and Miniatures Podcast and uh, and the other assorted denizens of that hive of scum and villainy, uh, Mike Whitaker and Mike Hobbs, because they do a podcast. They all do regular blog posts plus they paint plus they game and the only thing i can think of is somewhere in the british isles you people have like 28 hour clocks or something because <laughs> <laughs> you must have a full extra day a week to get all this stuff done and <laughs> here i am looking at the same unpainted panzer 3 and panzer 4 models that i built two weeks ago <laughs> and i haven't done anything else it since Yes. So, uh, any well, that's enough of that. But yeah, it, we like we like uh, to stay busy. Yeah, Neil, Neil, and the mics are are definitely due for a shout out. I haven't given them a shout out in some time, and they're they're definitely worthy of it. So, and and let's be honest as well, Jake, because I know you and I both. Neil's success, in particular, with his ongoing podcast that he did entirely solo for a long time was one of the things that it's it's, all those the whispering years yeah (laughs) the the whispering years uh yes it's true actually because his wife was a uh, is a nurse who worked shift work didn't he so he used to have to keep his voice down because she was asleep in the room upstairs um but yeah that made me because he's the thing about neil is he's always been incredibly modest about his achievement of the meeples mm-hmm. miniature which is now he's done hundreds of episodes hasn't he i've lost track of how many episodes it is it's like coming up to episode 4985 of the meeples of miniature he's, he's north of 250 at this point i think yeah yeah it's it's huge number and uh you know bless his heart he's always been incredibly modest about his achievement with that uh but he's what he's done is one of the things that inspired me to think, yeah, do you know what? Heck, this podcasting thing's fun. Because obviously I did a few 
not a huge number, what was it, a dozen or so viewed from the veranda shows with him, marathon shows with him. Uh, and it was that, you know, my experience with Neil that made me think, God, you know, he's onto something here. This is fun. Um, and it's a great way to communicate. I think one of the big surprises for all of us, you know, when you think of how much is out there in the airwaves nowadays with podcasts and radio shows and TV and Netflix and all those things, and you do think, God, when are people going to find the time to listen to all these podcasts? And the secret, of course, is for many people, <clears throat> certainly in this country, on the commute to and from work, either in the car or on the train or whatever, or when they're painting their miniatures. Uh, people, because I know, you know, just in the last few days, I've, I've started digging out some bits and pieces in my post Aiton massive game thing. I've been having some, doing some serious thinking about, okay, that was exhausting. <laughs> um, yeah. What do I want to do for me now? Because <clears throat> essentially all that work for Aiton Whilst there, you know, obviously I derive satisfaction from a successful outcome again, and all the campaign stuff, and some of it I will use in my book. Essentially, I did a shed load of hard work uh, over quite a stretch of time for ten other guys, so that at the mm -hmm. end, at the end of the day, they could arrive at this place in the middle of nowhere in Yorkshire and have two days of great gaming. That's, you know, it's always been my aim. So I came away sort of feeling um, yeah, just completely exhausted, I would say, you know, kind of physically and spiritually exhausted by the experience. And it left me thinking, yeah, okay, now I want to, you know, I'm not getting any younger. What do I want to be doing for me? Um, and so, and, and actually then, what if you're going to do anything in this hobby as we know it essentially means you have to put your bum in a chair and get your miniatures out and start scraping and cutting and undercoating and all the rest of it and spend you know sessions of variable duration but often you know quite long sessions sitting there on your own doing stuff well podcasts are a great accompaniment to that you know it, it's uh, podcasts and audiobooks Right. Uh, mm -hmm. And I would encourage anyone, you know, if, if people haven't already got an Audible account, um, I think it's well worth it. You know, I, I think I pay something like nine quid a month. I'm not sure what it would be for you in dollars, but something like nine, nine ninety nine, something like that every month. And uh, I get an, a, an audiobook off the Amazon thing, uh, Audible thing, uh, which normally if you were to just go and buy it, then kind of like they're more expensive almost twice as expensive actually they're more like uh 14 to 18 pounds uh to buy an audiobook so actually the the audible monthly gig is quite good value um now the fact that i've built up a, a substantial library of unlistened to <laughs> audiobooks because uh i'm such a busy guy and I've, i don't have enough of these long sessions where i'm doing painting or scraping or whatever that's another issue altogether and it's a bit like the unpainted i'm seeing there's a parallel the unpainted lead pile jay is mm. becoming a bit like the unlistened to audible <laughs> audiobooks pile yeah. digital pile that i'm getting which is just crazy i should probably cut the subscription but yes um so podcasts and you know neil who was one of the first really to do a, a kind of regular pod podcast of that kind he was onto something um 
and you know it's obviously the dy- dynamics change now he's got the two mics on as well and he did have his friend wasn't it dave dave luff was on from time to time and so the the dynamics change from kind of neil and the whispering years to this kind of much more matey three blokes in a pub kind of thing um so um but yes neil hats off to you mate if you're listening um mate you are the granddaddy of the miniature wargaming podcast along with actually another american guy jonathan reinhardt yeah um and i forgot oh, this gone off the whist off the top of my head the name of his podcast um wargaming, wargaming recon. recon that's it who i think is actually the longest running miniatures wargaming podcast of them yes. all um and he's another you know another guy who just plods on bless him um just cracking out content on a regular basis um you, as you know, Jake, you've got to love doing it, haven't you? Absolutely. I can't tell you how hot it is up here, Jake. It is unbelievably hot. Yeah, it must be what seventy-five, seventy-six degrees, unbearable. Uh, no, it's hot. It's getting hotter than that, mate. Up in my attic. Uh, hot enough to boil a monkey's bum. <laughs> Not quite Afghan levels, but you know, you can always show off. Nothing. It. Nothing is Afghan. Let's see, Hove, UK, sixty-nine degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, that is blistering. No, we're <laughs> no, we're at twenty degrees Celsius. I don't know what your fucking weather things on. We're, it's in fact now it's now twenty one degrees Celsius uh, outside, and in here it's twenty four. Okay, so that's barely seventy five. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> I'm British, old boy. <laughs> this is unbearable. <laughs> my air conditioning in my house is set at seventy six. Is it really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jesus. Remind me never to visit you. I hope you use deodorant. Well, of course. I mean, come on. I'm not not French. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, moving on. Okay, let's... Moving (laughs) swiftly on. So, something I've been wanting to talk to you about at length for some time is the annual Aiton game, which it's called Aiton because that's just where, where it's held, a little town in Yorkshire, as you said. And this year got a little different. It went a little, I don't want to say it went off the rails, but it was definitely different than what we've seen in the past. And from an outside observer, it looked like it was a whole lot of fun. So I guess before we go too much further, briefly, can you bring us up to speed on the Granuisian Intermezzo? And did I spell that right in the show notes for once? Uh, No. Uh, of course not. Got, it's only got one N. It's Grand Nuis. Oh. Grand Nuis is uh, uh, Grand Nuis of frog, frog's legs. Uh, and so ah. it's Grand Nuis because it's um, they're French. The frog French. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, but this was nothing to do with the Grand Nuisian Intermezzo. Uh, this was a completely new venue. It was kind of a follow on from the Grand Nuisian Intermezzo. I haven't given it a proper name yet, other than it was Dahlia and Chindrastan. Uh, mm-hmm. For some, there was, after every eight and 18th century thing that we've done, there's always been a kind of a, a discussion about, okay, what do we want to do next? And the, and the feedback that I got was that what people wanted was some kind of colonial setting. 
Uh, now, we've done a colonial setting previously in a, in a country I created called Bizarbia, which is sort of, it, well, Byzantine Arabia, Bizarbia, yeah. So it's kind of North African, that sort of thing. Um, and that was fun. That was, oh, God, I've lost track of time. That must have been the 2013 gig or something like that that we did Bizarbia. Lost track of time. Anyway, um, so I decided, because I was doing, I've been writing this book um, about campaigns that for the purposes of the book, apart from anything else, oh, yes, it's a good way to demonstrate to people how to make maps, how, or how I make maps anyway, for a campaign of this kind. <coughs> so I decided not to go for a modest principality. <laughs> I decided to create an entire subcontinent, uh, which when I've done the measurements subsequently, because it's just started off as a pencil sketch um, and it will all be revealed, the, the full creative process in the book. But it's just started off as a pencil sketch and I sort of scribbled down a rough scale next to it. Well, when I finish this thing, this, this subcontinent is about... 2,000 miles long by 1,500 miles wide. It's vast, absolutely vast. <clears throat> and um, there was a, a friend of mine, uh, Simone Drinkwater of Casemate Publishing. Hi, Simone, if you're listening. Um, who's a wonderful young woman, uh, and she uh, has just survived cancer over the last couple of years. Poor woman. Uh, had a dreadful time, but has come through the other side um, in, in you know, fighting fit, remarkable young woman. So in honour of her, I decided to have this kind of Raja, this queen of part of uh, the subcontinent. Um, and uh, so we had the Raja Simonia emerge as this figure uh, in part of Dali, which is the southern half. Chindrastan is kind of the northern half, so it's a bit sort of Pakistani-ish, you know, and Dalia, as in Tarkadal, you know, Dal, <coughs> Dalia is the southern half, sort of a bit more Indian in flavour, pardon the pun. Um, and um, so, yes, we had this uh, part of Dalia ruled by this uh, Empress Simonia, uh, and so I had this backstory um, to because I what I needed to do was, of course, have some reason for all these strange imaginations, none of which are actually part of my world that I've created. It is really weird, Jay. That's one of the things I'm I'm correcting from now on. But every year in I, I've created, or should we say, teleported in these these countries who rent out their troops as mercenaries, but whose origins are extremely unclear. They don't actually appear on any of my maps, these other places, like Medicia or Alta Fritzenberg or Atonia or whatever. They've kind of, they're in some sort of parallel universe somewhere uh, off mm -hmm. the edge of the map. So it's always been kind of a bit of a fudge, really. Effectively, what I've been doing is I've been re renting out my creations to these other guys. I've, I've been creating right. the world and saying, all right, come on, you can come and play in my world. Um, and so, you know, 
doing uh, Dali and Chindrastan was, first of all, it was fun. And one of the things I did, I put the call out on the internet, um, on my blog and on Twitter and stuff. I said, look, okay, I've got, I've created this vast subcontinent here. It's going to need hundreds and hundreds of towns and places and rivers and mountains and what have you that need to be named. Help! Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... Uh, it was great. I got a, a huge response. I mean, I actually had to call halt on it after a while because, um, well, partly because some of the suggestions coming in were just downright disgusting, right? Uh, because that's war gamers for you. Uh, why do something polite if you can do something disgusting and rude? But anyway, uh, but also literally just the sheer volume of stuff coming in was like, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. I can't actually keep up. So, um, even though I, for the purposes of this campaign, I named loads of places. I couldn't tell you how many, one or two hundred places. I still have a huge list of unused names in, in reserve for when it goes into more detail. So anyway, the, the backstory was that Prune Clan, which is my country originally, is a real, is one of my, in inverted commas, real imagination countries that are on my maps you know it's it's my kind of the country i always ruled uh but there's this guy simon tonkis known as goat major online who mm-hmm. uh who wanted to you know and it was very flattering he wanted to sort of play the part of my country in some way uh over you know quite a few years now and so we came up with this idea of the the Punkländische Ostindische Kompanie which is the uh the POK for short it's the equivalent of the East India Company so it's Punkland's East India Company so it's this merchant navy armed merchant navy uh with its own kind of private army and stuff that goes off and and colonizes places in the name of King Ludwig, you know, for the glory of Prunkland. And that's worked really well, actually, because he's got his own kind of independence. You can sort of create what he wants, effectively, uh, within that context. And so there is this, there is a direct relationship to Prunkland and the POK, but essentially he's not hidebound by the regimental structure or anything of that kind that I'd already dreamt up years ago. So... We came up with this idea that um, Prunkland has colonised part of uh, Dahlia uh, and uh, is kind of an ally of uh, the the Rana Simonia. And uh, hearing rumours that uh, Grand Ries, King Raoul of Grand Ries, who obviously got his nose put completely out of joint in the last campaign because his army got, you know, got the chuff kicked out of it in the last set of campaigns he wants revenge so he's heard that oh yes Prunkland's got this colony over there um and also uh two or three of the other um mercenary countries have come to Prunkland's aid you know they're in the pay of the Rana of Simonia uh and this year we had uh, Medicia and Cress and um Alta Fritzenberg were all on the same side the four guys and the idea was that the rest of the guys, there were six others, uh, plan an invasion to basically come and get their revenge on Prunkland. Um, and uh, so we had a campaign that started, uh, the starting point was, first of all, okay, Gronwys has raised, uh, is found the money to raise these mercenaries, uh, allies, to go and find where Prunkland is and uh, get 
its revenge by seizing Prunkland's colony. Well, the first problem they had was that they landed hundreds of miles away <laughs> from where from where Prunkland's colony was. Uh, they decided to play safe and try and avoid Prunkland's quite powerful navy as much as possible, and so land much further north, um, actually over the border in Chindrastan. And so then there were negotiations to try and gain safe passage through this kind of intermediate province called El Fahar, uh, and the negotiations were, were quite fun. Because um, obviously I was playing, I was umpiring this and seeing what both sides right. were writing. And <clears throat> what's really interesting about Wargamers, Jay, is they really love the detail, so, and but they can love the detail to the point where they kind of miss what they should be doing, yeah. which is thinking about the strategy of, you know, the, the schwerpunkts of where they're going, whereas instead they love writing long screeds about, right, where, uh, when we're on the march, we want uh, cavalry scouts, you know, a, uh, out to a distance of a mile either side in threes with backups of tens, and they're going to make camp every night, and they're going to put campfires at this these intervals, and they're going to, you know, dig for water in these places. All that kind of logistical stuff they get really excited about, and kind of forget the big picture of yeah we're hundreds of miles from where we need to be uh how do we get there uh and how should we distribute our forces most efficiently to win when we get there you know the the, the, the bread and butter stuff so i i you know quite fun and then there was the negotiations for self pa safe passage through the province of el fahar and there's uh, it gave me a chance to invent some backstory about oh actually it turns out there's a family connection between the rana simonia uh and the uh the the raja of el fahar and actually the raja of el fahar is a rascally old bugger <clears throat> and he's he's not got a standing army but he has got his uh, a huge influence over masses of native tribes in the region because he's a warlord and mm. so on and so forth so it there was a lot of fun to be had and and there was this kind of long journey uh, where the 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 Gronwissian alliance up in the north was kind of feeling its way you know they were having exciting incidents before they even got to the blooming border <laughs> and there were still hundreds of miles to go after that and you know looking for bridges and s dividing their forces and the right forces not being in the right place and there was some I had some incidents out at sea because I, I ran a bit of a naval side campaign from a certain, my own amusement, apart from anything else, where the Prunklands are, uh, naval patrols actually stumbled across uh, some of the troop ships from Grand Reese and they scattered them all and sank some and... Oh, it was pandemonium. It caused a bit of sort of pre-gaming pre weekend excitement. It was good fun. Yeah. <laughs> and then... Uh, then you've got this other thing, which is as as an umpire in a campaign, and it was and, and it was a good reminder that uh, in the in the the peculiarity of Aiton J is that the campaign is secondary to the guys having a couple of good games over the weekend. Right. Because you have this, unlike in most campaigns, where the campaign runs its course and then the umpire declares, oh, th those troops have seen those troops. What do you want to do about it? Oh, yes, shall we have a fight or shall we retreat or whatever? I didn't have that luxury. It had to happen that everyone had to arrive in more or less the same place 
at roughly the same time, or it wouldn't work. You know, we had in previous Aitons, there'd been a couple of occasions where someone had just sent their troops just wandering off in the completely the opposite direction. And obviously it was the famous incident where uh, one guy couldn't read a map properly and had mistaken what was the border for a road <laughs> and tried to march his said, I want to march my troops. I want to march my troops across that road. Uh, and by doing which, of course, he marched them not across a road, but across a border fence into neutral territory. Where they were arrested by local customs and excise and strip searched. <laughs> that was what back in one of the early Grand Prix uh, campaigns. That was funny. Uh, so this time we had this. Oh yes, oh yes. You he sent off this light brigade and have they found? Oh yes, they're looking for another bridge, another crossing. Yes, they found this other bridge. It's a rickety old bridge. Yes, you're going to have to dismantle your cannon because it's so rickety and and. Yeah, <laughs> get them across on ropes and pulleys and stuff, and so it's going to take you some time. Blah 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 blah. Meanwhile, the rest of the army plod 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 plod. But also, in the very moment of using this other bridge and crossing the border that way, the Gronwissians breached the treaty that they'd made with the Raja of Elfahar, which was mm-hmm. to stick to this particular road and within the confines of a corridor of a mile either side of that road, doing that all the way down. So they immediately kind of broke the treaty in that instant, uh, which then meant that he said to the other side, right, okay, you guys, you can come in because I want you to help me defend my country, blah, 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 blah. Um, and so there we go. Uh, it was good fun. And so eventually they did all turn up roughly within distance of one another so literally in the kind of couple of days before the weekend i had to do some major um uh campaign fudging to make mm-hmm. sure that everyone would have a fun weekend I mean, there were a couple of guys on one side on the on the um prunkland side whose troops were technically some way south of the initial encounter <clears throat> so what they did there were two games on the Saturday there was one game where um, a major Gromwissian force was trying to force their way over a pass to get down towards the city of Fizipop um, yeah. and um, and that was that was good fun so I did some fudging to make sure that the, the attacking side did actually have a good chance of pushing their way through because initially I realised oh looks like the defenders have got more or less the same number of troops as the attackers now anyone with any kind of wargaming experience let alone military experience knows oh that's not going to go well for the attackers then is it no. uh, particularly since the defenders have had some time to do a, a, a small amount of digging you know they make a few entrenchments and loopholes and that kind of stuff so i fudged things to allow a major contingent from the the main column to have made, made a forced march to join their colleagues so that they would have outnumbered the the defenders by at least two, maybe two and a half to one, meaning that they'd have a good chance of pushing through. In at the meantime, there was um, Simon and Dave. So Dave, uh, who commands Medicia, and Simon, who's uh, you know the Pontlandia Ostindia Company, uh, with some troops uh, reinforcements from Pontland itself. Um, 
they very kindly agreed for most of the Saturday gaming to command the natives who were going to surprise attack the remainder of the enemy column that was on the march. Um, and I did make it clear to them that, you know, if you're not happy about that, I'll fudge things a bit further and we'll see, you know, we'll let your troops kind of arrive later in the day. And right. But Dave was quite happy. Dave said, you know what, I'm I'm quite happy just commanding the natives today. <clears throat> and uh, Simon, I allowed uh, uh, some reinforcements of his to arrive several moves in, like five or six moves in. Now, as it turned out, they didn't need those reinforcements because the other side was so bloody hopeless <laughs> about advancing their column along the length of this table <clears throat> that the natives just had an absolute field day with them. I mean, I, I thought that it would be that the natives would kind of be a bit of a surprise factor, but mostly kind of bounce off. Well, as Sod's Law, they uh -huh. had the dice luck of the gods <laughs> and chewed up this column good and proper for most of the day. Uh, whereas the the other game was really tense um, and the defenders put up a good stout defence, but it was clear they were going to be overwhelmed by the end of the day. So then for the Sunday, I was able to fudge it that, okay, actually something like a week has passed, reinforcements have come up, the defenders have retreated to the town of Fizzypop. And kind of dug in a bit. So actually, uh, on the Sunday, we had this colossal game. The table was something like 11 or 12 metres, 30-odd uh, feet, 35 feet, something like that, by 6 feet. Uh, we worked out there was something around or in excess of 6,000 miniatures on the table. Nice. Um, and... You know, if you've seen the pictures, there was all the buildings and palm trees that I'd made in the couple mm -hmm. of weeks leading up. And it looked amazing and everyone had a great time and it was a huge eight and duff up weekend and so from my point of view you know as the umpire i'm you know i acknowledge okay there were some bits there it wasn't ideal i had to fudge a bit but because the whole eight thing is a thing in itself anyway it doesn't really matter um it's kind of it's got its own kind of history as a series of games um almost it's it's got a backstory that's all of its own completely mm -hmm. unrelated to anything that i've ever done really in my own wars of the Faltinian succession but that after the weekend sort of coming back to what we were saying earlier that has made me realize ah do you know what i really re miss my proper wars of the Faltinian succession yeah. So what I'm doing is I'm uh, I am my mate Guy will be involved and there will be other people involved in as I mentioned in a moment but I'm I'm kind of going back to wherever Guy and I left it off about 1745 I think was the last time last date of one of our campaigns 1745 1746 something like that uh, I'm going to pick things up from there with a proper backstory where you know the story is important as well right and everything following through logically and then what i may do as part of the campaign is invite other gamers maybe yourself jay whoever oh. um to fight out encounters using their own troops armies doesn't matter what you're using really but actually playing the part of the real uh countries in my world doing what they really would have done without these other 
interlopers. I mean, you know, the guys are lovely, and the 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 lengths they've gone to to create their imaginations of their own, you know, the Alta Fritzberg and Cress and Medicia and Etonia and Albion, all the rest of them, is extraordinary. I mean, they've put in fantastic effort. But um, they don't fit into my world. It's as simple as that. Right. And I want to get back to actually building the history of my world with the countries I invented as the, you know, the actors on the stage, as it were. Uh, Absolutely. But, and that's what you've been painting your heroics and ross one three hundredth for well yeah i mean the thing is the heroics and ross that i've just did a picture on twitter has got quite a lot of attention i was surprised um yeah i bought because guy and i have done the wars of the fountainian succession in several scales over the years uh one three hundredth heroics and ross was one of them uh briefly I went and bought a shed load of them. I literally went to the factory that was over in Wiltshire at the time, back in, I think it was 1986, 85, 86, something like that, uh, and started painting them. Oh, I think they were originally in Humbrol Enamels way mm. back when, but didn't get very far. Life took funny turns, got distracted, and they got, as is the case, everyone understands this, got put in a box. Yes, I'll finish this off shortly. And <laughs> here I am 30 years later, dicking them out again. Uh, I mean, one of the good things is, it's like, oh, there's quite a few of them. Um, and it gives me an option to try out a number of things. First of all, uh, trying out my shot, steel, and stone rules at that scale, you know, one three hundredth, six mil, call it what you like. Uh, but also um, experimenting maybe with commands and colors rules mm-hmm. for some encounters. Oh, absolutely. Um, and and the other good thing is that uh, you know, with that amount of stuff, it doesn't need much space. So even if my war games table is covered in all kinds of other clutter, I can just shove it aside and set up, you know, what would I need? Six by four, you get a huge battle at six mil. Um, but it, but also I can just whip them out quickly and do a little encounter if I need to, that kind of thing, play it solo maybe. But the other thing is, as I keep saying about that scale, actually, they look really pretty when they're eventually all painted up and they've got the rest of their scenery to match and everything. They look really great. So there well, you question are. For you. Question yeah. for you. Are you going to use Napoleonics or... I mean, you're, you're still going to set it in the 18th century. And oh, yeah. as, far as, as far as rules are concerned, are you going to do Napoleonics with some modifications or compass games has the tricorn rules for the American war of independence. And I've, maybe that'd be a little bit closer. Um, yes. Now, funnily enough at the partisan show, um, where I was last weekend, someone mentioned the tricorn rules and the ruthless way that militia are handled <laughs> militia run away a lot in the tricorn rules. Apparently. Um, I, I don't know. I might have a look at it. Um, I because there's obviously subtle differences between American War of Independence mm-hmm. tactics and oh, okay. the way the troops behaved, and mine, which is very much kind of mid 18th century European, you know, Wars of the Austrian Succession, Seven Years' War, that kind of vibe. Um, so I'll see how it plays. You know, I'm but I am going to be experimenting, and I shall report on my experiments as they happen. Oh, please do, please yeah. do. Yeah, I, I definitely 
it's, it's one of those things where I guess we can talk about a little bit on your show here in a few minutes, um, looking at the show notes, but it's, it's definitely one of those things where I've got a good deal of six millimeter and some of it's actually painted and, mm. Mm. um, yeah, I, I definitely want to be gaming more with six mil stuff because it does just look so good. I guess if you want to, if you haven't heard, if you're listening and you haven't heard it already, I did do an episode with Mr. Peter Barry of Back at Six Millimeter. I'll uh, I'll put the link to that particular episode in the show notes as well. So, cool. just a really great way of gaming large games where you get the effect of a large army in a small space because you can put, you know, something, you know, 24 figures easily enough on a 60 by 20 millimeter base yeah. without any problem whatsoever. And you get three of those bases and all of a sudden you've got, you know, that's 72 figures and you've got something that's approaching the look of a real army with not much of a footprint. Yeah. I'm putting infantry. I've got, bases that are 20 mil by 15 mil and mm-hmm. I can get eight infantry on one of those bases. Yep. So if I have uh, the commands and colors thing would be, you'd have like four bases in on average for mm-hmm. a, an infantry unit. So that's already 32 figures, right? Is that right? Four, two, eight, 16, 30, yeah, yeah. Uh, 32 figures, isn't it? 32 figures in a, in a little battalion unit. And of course, if I want to play it old school, I can simply double that up and have a 64 figure unit um and they do it look it looks great it looks great and it's a very let's not forget it's a very practical scale i mean if you're someone like me who's realizing "Mm, i am challenged in the storage department Mm -hmm. six mil makes so much sense because i use those really useful boxes i don't know if you have them in the states but there's a really useful box company that make these wonderful kind of rigid clear plastic boxes with kind of a lid that clips on at the end Uh, and you can fit two trays in there two hobby trays as they call them Uh, and in each segment of a hobby tray i can fit three battalions nice Uh, so you know one of those really useful storage boxes with two layers in, you can fit a lot of troops. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, the so. closest equivalent to that would be uh, Plano boxes. This is the brand name right. over here. And they, they started as fishing tackle boxes, but they yeah. branched out and uh, they've got their own separate hobby line, which is really handy if you want to buy the same box for a 25 to 50% markup. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's, it's got weird off-color clips instead of the, you know, and pink and mauve and chartreuse and coral and all those fun colors but <laughs> i love the way you pronounce mauve you call mauve, it mauve like it's, yeah mauve mauve so. <laughs> british uh, british uh, did you want to say something quickly before we go about partisan uh what the pronunciation because i would say partisan <laughs> you british with your you British with your weird emphasis on odd syllables. <laughs> oh, garage. No, it's garage. <laughs> you say tomato. <laughs> uh, Speaking man. of tomato plants, we've got a garden in this year, and the wife put in eight tomato plants, so I'm looking forward to that. Eight tomato plants. Uh, yeah. And partisan... <laughs> was, was good. 
Yes, we have partisan fighters and a partisan, which is a bit like a helper. But anyway, it, part, the partisan show, uh, which I went to last weekend, was great. People can go online. I've posted a huge album of pictures on Flickr. Yes. Uh, if they want to see one of the one of the best look, uh, the best looking kind of uh, British war game show, what it looks like, um, and we will include the link to that Flickr album in the yep. show notes. Oh, that's uh, my line. Because I took, yeah, I actually took about four hundred and fifty photos, and then when I did the, I edited it down to about three fifty, something like that, mm-hmm. um, to cut out the wobbly ones and too many repeats and what have you. Uh, and those annoying things, because I use my, I've got an iPhone 7 Plus, which has got an amazing camera. Uh, and uh, the only thing is, I've also I used a Bluetooth selfie stick, which I got oh. off Amazon. Um, which is jolly useful, because it means there's no wire. You haven't got a cable dragging around. And you can take off the actual remote control thing. It's brilliant. It's rechargeable. And it only cost me 15, 16 quid on Amazon. But it was uh, the only thing. Sometimes I obviously must have pressed the wrong thing, and it did. You know, the cam- phone camera does a burst sometimes, where it will yeah. take like fifty photos of the same right. thing. So yeah, there was some of those where I'd accidentally pressed something yeah. I didn't mean to press. But um, yeah, got some nice pictures. There were some really pretty games, and the game that well, there were three awards because I was also one of the judges at the show, um, and best participation game went to the ineffable the amazing rich clark of two fat lardies and their water tanker kind of participation demo game thing uh he's just an amazing showman i mean Mm -hmm. rich clark is just phenomenal and a grafter as well and he was supported (laughs) this year by nick skinner as well who's dozy bugger on um twitter uh and yeah that just they did a brilliant job with that then there was a um, best demo game went to uh, I think it was run by the guys Ali Morrison and Dave Andrews of Great War Miniatures did a World War One uh, game where one side of kind of British side was protecting an aerodrome from kind of Germans that were coming in but th- what was unusual was not only the presence of lots of lovely sop with camels and stuff but also the fact that there were Port- Portuguese troops involved um on the allied side which you don't often get to see mm-hmm. so and it was just beautifully presented lots of little interesting vignettes all over the place this is you know visual interest for the viewer the person looking at the game beyond just oh that's a pretty game uh and that's really what makes the difference is the putting the effort into having you know, like civilians, refugees and stuff carrying off paintings and their pet donkey and whatever it is just makes huge visual difference. The the best of show game was staggering. I mean, I, I don't know where you, how you would start. Really, it was a, a scene from Stalingrad. Um, actually, they were playing it as a chain of command game, but with this incredible kind of <sighs> half destroyed factory in Stalingrad, with not just chimneys reaching three feet above the table and blown away walls and girders and what have you but also big holes in the ground so you could see the cellars and tunnels underneath and there were troops wandering around in there and a, and a Heinkel bomber that had crashed in the middle of it all just mind-blowing 
mind-blowing, down to the fact that there were individual bricks on, you know, strewn around from blast damage. Unbelievable. So, you know, folks, go and have a look at the Flickr album of photos of that, which is, you know, that's down towards the end of the Flickr photos that I, uh, photos I took that were on Flickr. So those people who abandoned ship looking through the Flickr album halfway through have missed the best, literally. Um, go and have a look at it. It was amazing. And it was a wonderful, friendly show. The weather was amazing. Uh, it was great to kind of meet up with people, again, that I hadn't seen for ages, Jay. It was a huge confidence boost. Um, you know, because I've been, after leaving the magazine, I was sort of out of the hobby, really, for quite some time. And um, after what had been a very stressful year, the mind plays tricks, and you can start imagining that people don't give a monkeys about you anymore and all the rest of it. So actually, it was a huge fillip for me, a huge confidence boost uh, to be so, to be welcomed with such open arms by so many people there. Yeah. It was It was lovely, really, really lovely outstanding outstanding well it's it's about that time we need to shift gears we're going to take off our veteran wargamer hats and put on our battle chat hats <laughs> so and they're available at all good good stores folks <laughs> well you can you can get your battle chat hat by going to patreon.com slash battle games sign up as a patron of henry and you'll be able to listen to the second part of this show on on Henry's feed when when it comes out. So on that note, uh, Henry, I want to thank you for coming on 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 the Veteran Wargamer show, and I, I look forward to being on Battle Chat here in a moment. And uh, I'm just this is a neat experiment. Well, it's not really an experiment because I did the same thing with uh, Meeples oh. and Miniatures. Uh-huh. So. We did a split show at one point, and it seemed to work out well for both of us. So, hopefully, we'll we'll get some positive feedback from both our listeners, and we'll go from there. So, that's cool. No, it's been a real pleasure, Jay, and thanks for setting up the experiment. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm really glad to. I'm really want to see how this turns out, and hopefully, it'll be okay. So, let's just try not to suck. So. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, as always, if the wargaming you're having isn't any fun, you make it fun. That is all. The Veteran Wargamer Copyright J. Arnold 2018. Be sure to leave a positive review on iTunes. If you'd like to join the discussion, head to the blog at theveteranwargamer.blogspot.com. Music courtesy of binsound.com.